Good afternoon. Um, my name is Jeff Wilson. You're listening to the Wilson Asset Management Investor Conference Call. Uh, as you know, you are the you know, we're, we're doing this conference call for yourselves. You're the shareholders, uh, and you own the company, and you allow us um, you know, to do what we enjoy doing, uh, and that's investing. Um, and we're very passionate about that. So, so thank you. Um, I'll be starting off the presentation and going through the slides. You should all have a copy of those slides. Uh, and then we'll, uh, we're, we're going to open up for a, a Q&A, which I'll, I'll be running uh, with our three lead portfolio managers, um, you know, Katrina Burns, Oscar Oberg, and Matt Helped. Um, so in terms of you know, what we're trying to do at Wilson Asset Management, we're trying to make a difference. That's in terms of uh, managing money on, on your behalf, um, standing up for uh, our shareholders um, and also giving back to the community we operate in. Um, in terms of the team, you'll see we've got a high-quality team. Uh, in terms of you know, getting advice, everyone, you know, everyone I've ever run into tells me it's all about employing people that are smarter than you. Uh, and, and over the last 21 years, I think we've been able to get you know, consistently employed people that are smarter than me. Um, but that, that's the team. The, in terms of how we invest, we try to buy undervalued growth companies and, and we, we've got a rating system um, and we buy them when we can see a catalyst is going to change the valuation and then we sell them you know, when, they, um, when they reach those valuations. In terms of the structure we use, it's the listed investment company structure, uh, which we think has some significant benefits. Um, one is certainty in terms of tax outcomes, um, as distinct from the, the trust structure, obviously being closed end. Uh, and in this time you know, where there's an enormous amount of uncertainty and a fair degree of, um, well, nearly a, you know, a reasonable degree of panic, the advantage of managing a closed-end pool of company, sorry, pool of capital does give you a significant competitive advantage. And we can talk about that a little later. The, in terms of the various listed investment companies, you'll see on, on the next slide, uh, we've got the list of them, uh, the share price NTA, NTA you know, when the dividends are paid, and the size of them. Um, and also, um, after that, you'll see that we, you know, we plan on adding a new listed investment company to the fold um, after a, a, a long period of time um, where you know, we're, we're very close to taking over the management um, of an alternate asset fund, that's the, the uh, BAF. Um, and, and we see that as a great opportunity to, A, uh, make sure the share price of that entity We'll rename it. It'll become a, a, a WAM product um, and make sure the share price of that entity reflects the asset value. Uh, and, and because it's uh, alternate assets, you know, we think there's a, a significant opportunity to grow that as there is a lot of demand for that type of product. Um, and on the other side, from, from our business perspective, um, you know, we've got, you know, we, we have various equity exposures. This gives us another uh, string to the bow. In terms of the you know, overview of the market, um, the you know, it is the end of the. You know, I mean, we've talked the last couple of years about you know, when will the longest bull market uh, end, um, and, and fortunately or unfortunately, fortunately in terms of providing opportunities, unfortunately in terms of um, you know, the sort of the, the, the free money has, has been removed, um, yeah, the, the bull market is over. Um, and we've seen that with the, you know, with the Dow last night and we've seen that um, yeah, with the All Ords. And that's dropping that te more than technical 20%. Um, the, um, in term, probably a little bit later on, yeah, we'll go through. Matt will probably talk about you know, some of the uh, some of our theories on the length of this uh, and the depth of it. But one of the interesting things um, I think is worth noting, and that's on slide um, 
I think it's slide 11, uh, just talking about the various phases. And at the moment, we're really in, in that first and second phase, and that's the, you know, the emergence of um, you know, the you know, coronavirus and, and the uncertainty that that's created, uh, and, and effectively a risk. You know, everyone's taking risk off the table. Um, but also, we're in that lockdown phase, and we've seen, you know, obviously in China, you know, the lockdown there, the lockdown in Italy. Um, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if there are other um, you know, countries globally that that go into lockdown, and that's really so they can flatten out, um, you know, the, the the rate of infection. But but that creates enormous amount of dislocation, you know, both on the supply chain, but also on the demand side. Um, and the interesting thing is that eventually we will get to acceptance uh, and we'll accept that this it'll be part of life. Um, it'll be, you know, I was talking to a doctor this morning uh, and he said, look, there's, he deals with a whole lot of you know, different uh, coronaviruses currently. You know, this is a, obviously a specific one, you know, very infectious um, and obviously has a, um, a fatality rate higher than those others. Uh, but that'll be, um, I, I suppose, as time goes on and whether it takes six months, whether it takes 12 months, whether it's 18 months or two years, um, it'll just be a, uh, it'll be, um, you know, part of, part of life. As, as people now do die from the flu, you know, it was something 350,000 to 650,000 people um, a year die from the flu. Uh, this will be... You know, a potential a potential additional risk um, yeah you know, it's just the difficult part is we're in that you know, sort of the dislocation phase which is you know creating significant potential economic impacts and and when you look at the market you know the market is a is a forecaster um, I mean that's why it looks like there's a, a high high probability we're going to have recessions globally um, because the market forecasts you know, what's going to happen in the economy in six to nine months' time um, and this you know, strong fall in the market over the last little period is, is just saying, look, that's effectively you know, what the market is forecasting will happen uh, to the economy. In terms of... Um, well, what did I, I'll now go to... You know, we'll, have the, we'll start off with the panel discussion... Um, now we've got uh, Katrina on the line. She's in uh, Paris, and um, you'll all be aware when she gets back to Australia, she will, she'll be quarantined for 14 days. So, um, why don't I start off with a question for Katrina? The, um, I mean, obviously, you, more recently you've been, you, you've, you've been to the US, you've been to the UK, and Germany. What are the you know, the companies you're you're visiting? Um, you know, what are they saying? Uh, and and how's everyone sort of responding to the virus? That, you know, in terms of the people you've been speaking to. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Uh, so I've met with about sixty companies across the US, uh, Europe, and the UK in the last couple of weeks, um, and there really is a significant uncertainty about what the operating environment will look like in the coming weeks and really how badly earnings will be hit. At this stage, the businesses have been very focused on the safety of their staff and really ensuring business continuity. So as we have non-essential travel has now been halted uh, and working from home arrangements um, have been widely enforced. Um, and some companies, you know, such as in the tech and payment space, are generally adapting pretty well and with minimal interruption to their ability to serve their customers but others really are at risk should those further regions go into lockdown so if you work in a retail store a hotel uh, an airline or a manufacturing plant you clearly can't work from home and may not be paid if you don't clock on um, so the feedback from the companies here that in many cases source out of china uh, is that they are moving through the worst of the virus there that the manufacturing plants in general have restarted since the uh, Chinese end of Chinese New Year, um, but with varying levels of ramp up as they struggle in some cases to get workers back. 
Um, but this is as US, the US, Europe and the UK are really entering a significant, um, you know, a period of significant attempts to contain the virus, which obviously, as you said, will, will have an economic impact. Um, stores in general are still open, but the occupancy is definitely down and, and going on the tubes and subways over the last, you know, eight days, there certainly is less people than normal. Uh, I was, flew from Munich to, to Paris last night and the airport was completely empty and my taxi driver, when I arrived in Paris, said he'd been waiting six hours for a, for a customer. Um, so all in all, I'd say the uncertainty is certainly high. Um, the significant impact to date um, on specific businesses has been centred on like those specific sectors of the economy like travel and retail, um, but, but more widely businesses are concerned. Okay, and in terms of the, I mean, obviously as you've been over there, um, did you get, when you are in the US, did you, I mean, it looked like, uh, up until recently, Trump's been behind the curve there, and then it looks you know, like last night he's trying to get in front of the curve. What are they? Is, is it was a much? What was the talk in the in the US? Yeah, there's a lot of criticism around um, Trump, and and you know he's out there publicly saying there's enough tests, etc. Um, but you've got doctors and patients saying that's absolutely you know absolutely not true, and you can't get enough tests. Um, so, and, and amongst the local population, like it was certainly varied in terms of people's, you know, levels of panic and, and what they were doing in reaction to that, as we've, as we've seen from uh, toilet pa paper fiascos in Australia, etc. Um, but yeah, generally there was some criticism of Trump and how quickly he um, was dealing with it and, and the ability of test kits um, and, and companies um, Generally, yeah, were, were mixed. Like they were, they were. It, you know, it's now a week ago, and a lot's changed. So they're becoming increasingly um, probably concerned. Yeah, I, I know. Just a little anecdote. Um, you know, my daughter, who's 25, she works in New York, and she works for a small tech company. There's about 30 of them there, and they were sent home today, and and, and to work from home until further notice. So I think they're getting it now. Um, now, in terms of, Oscar, why don't we talk a little bit about the Australian reporting season? One of the tough things is we're looking backwards and we know the equity market looks forward, um, but in terms of what did you see there and, and what do you think's changed um, or what, do you, what are you seeing's changed? Yes, <clears throat> thanks, Jeff. Look, while it was uh, actually one of the weakest reporting seasons that uh, I think since the, the global financial crisis with average earnings per share been cut by about 8%, believe it or not. It was actually one of the best we've had in WAM Capital with around 94% of the companies that we own actually meeting or, or beating expectations. And certainly one of the key themes that we played uh, through reporting season was an improving housing market. And the, and the benefit of this on sectors of the economy such as uh, retail, uh, building materials and also property developers. And pleasingly, we saw companies such as Adairs, Nick Scarly, Genworth, Australian Finance Group actually post decent results and beat expectations. And this reflects improving confidence. And, and I was actually looking uh, just this morning, actually, and house prices have actually risen 8% since the lows in May at the time of the election, actually only 1% off peak levels in, in, uh, in 2017. So I guess with that in mind, Jeff, um, you know, we're quite pessimistic, the housing market uh, going forward. Um, you haven't seen it as yet. Auction clearance rates are still very, very strong, but... It would appear, given the uncertainty caused by coronavirus, that you'd expect to filter down through to, through to the housing market. So certainly we've reduced our exposures to these companies uh, that are exposed to housing within the portfolio, and we'd be quite negative on these companies going forward. The, uh, and then, Matt, just talking about you know, the large companies, you, know, you um, run the WAM leaders' portfolios. Do you want to start... Why don't we start with the miners... Uh, and then we'll talk about the banks, um, yeah, and, and what's happening there. Yeah, sure. Um, afternoon, everybody. If we look at the miners, so w what we're seeing now is global markets basically pricing a recession. So generally, this is very bad for miners, uh, more on the base metals. But when we look at Australia, we've got the, the three biggest miners, we've got BHP, Rio, Fortescue, really leveraged to the iron ore market. So... We've done a lot of work around this at the moment. 
it looks like China will stimulate their economy as things have um, come back after Chinese New Year. So we've heard on the ground they're going to introduce stimulus of around $25 to $50 trillion over the next period, over the next couple of years. So with that in mind, the iron ore companies actually look quite good. And the reason why I say this is iron ore goes into steel production and China will produce around a billion tonnes of steel this year and also next year. And there can't be a supply response. And Australia is a large exporter of iron ore, as you know. So in a very uncertain environment, the mining companies actually look pretty good. They've got large cash balances on, um, which is a distinct difference from the GFC when they had high levels of debt. So they've got very flexible balance sheets and the end markets we can pretty well predict with a high level of confidence that their iron ore usage will be as good as it was in previous years and over the next couple of years. So for us, the miners, when you look at mining sector, base metals look tough like copper, which is linked to activity and some of the other commodities look tough, but iron ore uh, for BHP Rio and Fortescue actually look pretty good, but you can't really argue with the market at the moment. The market wants to sell every name, so it's just one to watch, but the backdrop actually looks quite supportive. So we've, we've still got positions in these stocks, and we'll, we'll be looking to add as as these stocks come off because we, we think there's a high degree of certainty around their end market. And, Matt, the, you know, the banks, you know, say if the economy does slow down, um, you know, I mean, we've seen, obviously, the banks last couple of days take, uh, well, yesterday particularly, took a, a, a significant amount of selling. Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts on the banks? Yeah. The banking sector is actually really interesting at the moment. They're basically priced for a pretty well a recession environment with a credit cycle starting to come in. So they're sitting around GSC levels. So about two months ago, we were actually quite positive on the banks because you had interest rates on hold. What's happened over the last two months is with this global slowdown, the RBA have pivoted, they've cut 25 basis points, and they're probably going to cut again next month. And also they're looking at QE. So Guy DeBell from the RBA was out this week talking about how they'll implement QE. And what QE is for Australia is management around the yield curve. So what will happen is the government will intervene and keep the yield curve over different terms, like the one year, three, five, and 10-year, at much lower rates, which really hurts the bank's earnings. So they've got two negatives there, the interest rate cuts and the QE. On on the pricing side, they're actually starting to screen quite well. So Westpac and ANZ are at book values such as the GFC. NAV's about 15% off the lows of the share price of the GFC. So if this is a short-term impact and there is... Um, some containment around this slowdown in the global economy, the banking sector could look good. But it's really hard to determine that at this point in time. But if they got much cheaper, I think the banks look okay. So for us, banks banks are getting towards the sort of the end of their um, trading ranges and starting to look attractive. But it's a watching brief very much so. And um, I think some of the, the political intervention as well around waiving fees. The Treasurer was out the other day talking about waiving fees for some of the business banks, uh, business customers. Obviously, that's going to be a big impact for earnings across the uh, Aussie banks. So still a lot of headwinds, but slowly they're pricing in a lot of bad news, but we're not quite there yet. Thanks, Matt. And, and Katrina, the, um, the US companies, they seem to perform, you know, the fourth quarter earnings of the latter part of last year seemed to be a bit you know, better than, you know, as Oscar was talking about, you know, what we saw here in Australia. There's, uh, I know that's now a long time ago. Any interesting points you'd like to mention? Um, look, it really did. It, generally, there was solid earnings, but it did depend completely on your industry and whether you uh, released your results pre or post um, coronavirus having heated up because companies that were a lot further into the reporting season um, were downgrading their expectations for the year ahead. But at that point, they really only knew that China 
um, had had heated up. So, you know, that 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 potentially in in many cases has got worse since then. And so earnings still are too high. Um, the trade war had obviously um, impacted to cyclical um, earnings from last year, and they these cyclical businesses were generally hopeful of. Um, increasing demand in 2020, but, you know, that doesn't look like it's now going to come through. I'd say in the healthcare and tech um, companies, they were generally pretty upbeat. Anything that had a U.S. consumer-facing um, element or U.S. housing-related um, was positive given the, the health of the U.S. consumer and, you know, low rates, 50-year lows for unemployment. Um, I thought one thing that was interesting for the U.S. was that there was a slowdown in buybacks. Um, which have been a significant driver of earnings growth over the last couple of years. Um, in, in, the, in the middle of last year, the ratings momentum, so that's the credit upgrades minus downgrades, was the most negative uh, it had been since the GFC. And in January, that showed the, the company sort of seemed to react to that with buyback announcements at 20% um, of the monthly average of the last five years. So um, if you look at... Uh, but, US hey, companies, Katrina, so what... On that figure you're just talking about, what, what do I read out of that? Just explain that to me in, in simple English. <laughs> so, so basically, um, companies were being put um, on alert that, that they were going to get downgraded if their balance sheets um, didn't look good enough by the ratings agencies. And so that led to them appearing to cut back buybacks in order for paying down the debt on their balance sheets so that they didn't get... Um, downgraded by the ratings agencies, which would make their, you know, their cost of funding um, potentially higher. So, like, a lot of the US companies have pretty high levels of leverage. Um, so, look, we think, we thought, like, that coming out of January, that's a positive because we, in a lot of cases, there's companies we haven't been willing to look at because the leverage is too high. So if they could stop focusing on using, leveraging up their balance sheets to do buybacks, um, you know, it'd make a lot of the companies more, more investable. Um, so we've generally sort of afford, tried to avoid any like businesses with high levels of leverage, particularly now given the given the earnings risk. Um, so yeah, that that was the that's that's what I mean when I'm talking about the the ratings momentum and and how it's fed into yeah. buybacks and the, the balance sheet. Um, and then and in Europe, I, from reporting season, it was it was mixed. Like cause the auto industry there has had a very tough tough um you know year or so um but but employment is still you know people are still employed but but certainly there's a confidence issue and then japan um to round it out they'd had it they had a very tough second half with it because they're given it such an export driven economy and then they had a consumption tax introduced um in october um to compound the issues they were already facing from the trade wars so i'd say generally yes u.s was solid, but it really depended on the industry um, and coronavirus as we went through reporting season was becoming more and more of an issue and companies were downgrading, but they didn't know the whole picture at that point. And in, before, in a minute, we'll go to how, how you guys, how the portfolios are positioned, but, and, and on your current um, trip, are you picking up any, I know it's still very early, you know, from the virus side, um, are you picking up? Are there any little anecdotes uh, that you're picking up that's, that's going to influence how you think this this will all play out? Oh, I think like certainly having gone through all the airports, having having you know seen restaurants that certainly have reduced you know people in them, etc. Like, there's no doubt this is going to be um, you know a massive hit to, to GDP short term, and and really. For me and every company, they're, they're just wondering how quickly we can get through it, such that you know, in a lot of cases, they had thought, you know, the year ahead, you know, looked at, looked fine because yeah, you know, they had cheap funding, the consumer was in decent shape. But a bit, but like a key part of this, um, why the global economy has held up pretty well, has been strength in areas like say the U.S. consumer, where they have been employed. But I think. You know, companies are on alert for what's going to happen on the demand side, and and the risk is that if demand really falls off a cliff um, for an extended period, they're going to have to think about cutting workers, which then obviously the consumer having held up, you know, various economies, you know, doesn't hold. So, um, 
yeah, I'd, I'd say that's the, you know, contingency plans are at hand and, and companies are working on a set of assumptions at the moment that probably are that the virus, um, you know, gets contained in the la- in the next month or two. But, but supply chains, you know, there's a certain level of inventory on companies' balance sheets, um, et cetera, that, you know, means that even with a retail store, you're fine to stock your shelves for the next, you know, month or two. But beyond that, if suppliers not coming through, then that, that's, you know, that's disrupted and it, and it you know, it, it gets potentially more negative. Okay. In terms of what have we got you, Katrina, how, how are you positioning the portfolio with that? Um, yes, yeah, so we, we, uh, we've made various adjustments to the portfolio since the outbreak and, and escalation of coronavirus. I mean, the thesis on like going into this trip was that there'd be very, there would be some specific obvious areas hit, such as travel and luxury consumer, etc. Um, but that some areas, you know, do have a lot more resilience, um, such as in tech and payments or food. Um, so, so early on, when the news of the virus broke out in China, we had stocks like LVMH, um, uh, which had barely sold off despite a significant amount of their um, earnings coming from China and the Chinese traveller. So we sold these quickly. We also sold stocks like Booking.com, which are right in the line of fire for falling travel numbers. We've reduced weightings in more cyclical businesses, um, such as Airbus and Amex and CTS Eventum, which are involved in the sale of tickets across Europe, which aren't going to happen. And we've certainly tilted the portfolio more defensively. We've... um, added um, to to names like CME Group, which benefits from volatility in markets, Nomad Foods, TransUnion, AutoZone, um, and and increased our cash weighting at the end of December. We're at um, 4.7% and and we're up above 12 now. Gotcha. Uh, And and, uh, Matt, do you want to talk a little bit about how you got the portfolio position? Sure. Um, with the portfolio, obviously in times of um, you know volatility, it allows you to adjust the portfolio. So we've taken the opportunity uh, to make significant changes. So again, very much along the lines of Katrina, pulling out some of the cyclical um, elements of the portfolio and increasing cash as well. So we were around seven percent cash in January, and then sort of ramped that up around twelve and a half, and holding around fourteen, fifteen percent cash now. Um, also very much defensive type holdings um, across the board. So um, what we're doing now is really trying to work out what portfolio we want to own coming out of this and making that um, that change on paper at the moment. But we'll be looking to p- deploy over the next few months um, and to get the portfolio we want to have to come out of this um, downturn. So that's the real work we're doing now. Um, and we've pretty much built the portfolio we want to come out of this correction. So um, that's what we'll be doing over the next few months, just implementing that and making sure... So when will you be implementing it? See, that's, wait for the bottom of the market. Well, if we keep doing 7% <laughs> down a day, it'll be within uh, the next week. Because, um, <laughs> like, historically, it, I mean, it's, we can't say with certainty where we're going to finish, but um, we've done a bit of work around bear markets. and um, Yeah, um, you want to... Yeah, like, with bear markets, you can really break them out into a few different reasons why they happen. One is a cyclical bear market, a structural bear market, and an event bear market. And this very much being in the event bear market bucket. So what has happened is we've had an exogenous um, knock-on from this virus. It's nothing to do with the cyclical or structural components of the economy. So history shows that an event like this, which drives us into a recession, the bounce back is much quicker. So we're looking across a few of the um, the stats. So a structural bear market, around 42 months, that's the length of the bear market. A cyclical bear market's around 27 months. And then an event bear market's around nine months. So we say nine months, but if the market falls 50%, it's not going to be nine months. So obviously... The time is a factor, one factor. You've got to look at multi-dimensional, of course. If the market falls as quick as that has, it could be a very short correction, but 
again, we're waiting to see what happens there. But we're very much in the event-driven recession if, if we do go into recession. So history says it'll be um, a lot quicker to bounce out of that. Yeah, and just obviously on you know, leaders and global, you, you've you've got a, you know there's a lot of liquidity there, so mm-hmm. you're um, you know in terms of dialing up the cash, you can dial that up intraday. Where yes, yeah. if we you know, let's I'll pass over to Oscar now. You know, obviously mids and smalls. Um, you know, Oscar, you've got to be looking a bit more forward. Do you, do you just want to take through how you got the portfolio position at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, as soon as the I guess when the virus spread into Italy and Korea was a catalyst to really increase cash, and we did that quite quickly. And today, we're, or as of last night, we're sitting at 34% across WAM Capital, 34% in WAM Micro Cap. We'll go up slightly again uh, tonight. Um, but look, in terms of the actions that we took, uh, we largely sold a number of companies uh, in the micro cap space, given they have less liquidity. And these are usually the companies that get hit really hard when you see sell-offs. Uh, like Katrina, like Matt, we sold companies or cyclical companies in sectors such as mining services and discretionary retail. I think from our perspective going forward, of course, we'll stick to the investment process, look for companies that have a catalyst to see a re-rating over time. Uh, but for us, the most important thing is liquidity. So we'll be looking for companies or larger, larger cap companies uh, that are highly liquid, uh, trying to expose, like every, every company is exposed. It's, it's, it's hard to get away from it, but looking for companies that have that minimal exposure so the companies that we have been adding to, I guess, over the last few weeks are companies in sectors such as insurance broking and telecommunications uh, and infant formula. But, yeah, content to leave cash at, at rather, rather conservative le- levels given the lack of liquidity that we see in smalls and mids. Thanks, guys. And in terms of stocks, um, what about... What do you guys... I know it's a very uncertain time, and uh, as I spoke to someone last week, they were talking to me and I said, you know, it's a bit tricky at the moment. You might be trying to catch a falling knife. So, but, but let's let's have a few stocks. What is, what's, Katrina, why don't we start with yourself? Um, you know, what's the one or two stocks that you like at the moment? Um, yes, so one that um, I, I like at the moment is, is Nomad Foods. We think it's an appropriate stock for the times. They're the largest frozen food company uh, in Europe. With They've got brands such as Bird's Eye, Findus and Iglo distributing across 13 uh, European companies. It's a small cap listed on the US stock exchange, but its business is, is centred in Europe. So it, it, it does tend to be a bit off, off the radar. Um, the, the reason we like it is because we think it's one of a rapidly declining list of businesses whose earnings should prove relatively resistant as, as global econ- economies respond to coronavirus. Um, we're actually seeing people stockpiling their products, which is helping near-term sales. Uh, and, and regardless of this, the earnings should accelerate from here um, with a pipeline because they had a pipeline of new innovations coming through. They'd rationalised their skew offering um, and, and cost inflation pressures uh, from, from the prior year were, were rolling off anyway. Um, what we also like is that it does trade at a big discount to its its um, peers, despite the fact that a lot of these peers have very high levels of leverage, um, so much higher greater, um, what's higher financial risk. Um, they did a recent capital raising last year for an ac- acquisition that didn't end up going ahead, so they've got a got a strong balance sheet, um, and 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 stocks trading on only 13 times FY20 numbers, which um, we think there's potential for earnings beat. Um, and, and M&A should, should bargains come out of um, as a result of the fallout from, from coronavirus. So that's, that's one we like at, like at the moment. Um, yeah. And, and Matt, what's... <clears throat> I've got a falling knife one, um, Flight Centre. I, I wouldn't be touching it yet, but just get your hands ready to try and catch that one. Um, Ones I like now, and okay, with that one. So, yeah. what what signs do we have to see? What, well, are, what are we looking for? So, the signs we're looking for is obviously today, um, Trump's come out with a ban of you know US going to Europe for 30 days. What we're going to see is containment of Corona, and then opening up of the flight routes again. So, all the bans coming off the airlines. Once that happens, then you look at this one. So, you need confidence back. You need all the travel restrictions lifted. This stock has been slaughtered and there's probably got further to go, but that one has got 
the most upside potential out of uh, some of the stocks we look at. And in terms of you know how you're talking about the portfolio for the you know for for the start of the next bull market, uh, and who knows how long this bear market will be. What it, I mean is it is is your, is your portfolio weighted to financials and the first part of the yeah, leg? Yeah, the, the first leg is always led by financials. So we'd just go overweight banks, um, div fins, insurance companies because what happens is as activity comes back. People go out and lend and borrow, and um, those things will do well. Um, so you generally you tilt towards the financials first. Yeah. Um, so yeah, our theoretical portfolio is very heavy financials, um, and we're starting to add a little bit now, like very slowly. Um, but once we get the sign that it's a green light, then we'd ramp those up quite quickly. Um, but on the other stocks, Amcor we like. It's been punished. Um, very defensive company. It's on 11 times earnings. Um, growing at about 10, 11%. Um, these guys, um, about 70, 80% of the products are FMCG, so like consumer goods, and they very rarely, even in recessions, go down. And the, the rest of the business is tobacco again, which is quite recession-proof, uh, smoking. So they make all the cartons in, out of Europe. So very defensive business, but it's not being treated like a defensive at the moment. So that one's screening very, very cheap. Okay, and Oscar, what are you what are you seeing? Thanks, Jeff. Uh, look, there's one company we like that's not exposed to the Australian economy and um, certainly doesn't have coronavirus impact, and that's John's Link Group. The, the ticker is JLG. Uh, so these guys provide emergency repair to, to buildings from natural disasters such as fire, uh, floods, and hail. As I'm sure a number of the listeners on the call um, will know, or been directly impacted by the terrible fires over over December and January and the the floods we saw and also the hailstorm in Canberra. Now, it's actually, this is a positive for JLG. It means that they have a record order book, and we think they've got enough, um, two to three years of work just coming out of what we've seen, the natural disasters over summer. Now, coupled with this, they've got a very strong balance sheet. There's no debt, um, and they've just started consolidating the strata services space. So we see a very good prospect for JLG going forward. The business trading on a price-earnings multiple valuation of of 20 times on our numbers, and we think that they can grow in excess of 20% per annum over the next few years. Okay, and Oscar, well, I've got you some, you know, say the last six months since we did the call last, winners and losers. Have you got anything? Plenty of losers, Jeff, yeah. at the moment. <laughs> um, but I think I have to talk about Mike, and we have we have talked about it numerous times uh, publicly. Um, look, I mean, it hasn't. It's fair to say it hasn't worked out. Um, I'd say, you know, CEO John King is done everything we thought he would over the cost base and efficiency savings. But I think when we first invested in Meyer, I think we said, said to you at the time that the biggest risk for Meyer was around top-line sales growth. And we went into a period of a recession or uncertainty or a spike in unemployment. Now, it's fair to say over the next six to 12 months, the outlook for Meyer would be um, bleak. That's probably an understatement. Um, but look, we, the balance sheet has improved. Um, I think management's done a very good job. Um, compared to where they were two years ago. Um, they do have headroom in their covenants and would need a substantial fall in earnings to, to go close to breaching. So, look, we're still confident on the management team. There's still a long, long way to go, but it's fair to say the share price isn't going up in a hurry in this current environment. Um, Matt, any you know, winners and losers? Um, most of the portfolio you know, has been a loser in a bear market, <laughs> but um, we're doing our best there. Um, look... I guess we'll talk about one recently. We've had a nibble at Qantas two times. Um, very, very small part of the portfolio, like maybe five, ten basis points. Um, so very small. And and what happened? This happens a lot in bear markets where you you think, oh, maybe this is the worst. You 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 put your toe in, but you don't go all in. So we've done that twice and we've pulled out. Um, so for us, that's been um, a recent one. And but we're looking at Qantas. I mean, it's it's half. The share price in um, about a month, it's probably got further to go, but it'll be, a, a, again, flight centre is the same. Yeah. Once travel restrictions are lifted, the oil price has fallen, which has saved them a couple hundred million dollars. Um, so that looks like an incredible buy at a point in time. Yeah. Okay. We've just got to wait for this to flow through. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and Katrina, what about yourself? Uh, yes. So I... I, I have... I've had a similar um, one more lately. It's, it's interesting. Generally, like we've had a list of 
um, we call them the wish list companies that um, that we'd love to love to own, um, but the pricing, you know, there's been a lot of overvalued stocks um, in the last couple of years as share prices have moved up. So we've we've had a, a lot of companies that we thought, oh, at certain prices, we, we'd like to own this. Um, one of the businesses in in that um, in that genre was a business called WEX, which is a, um, the largest fleet card business in the US. Um, so, so for you know, while if you've got a Visa or a Mastercard, that works fine for for getting petrol in the US. WEX gives an employer all the analytics on their drivers. If you've got a driving fleet and and their use of gas, and um, corporates use that data and analytics platform to reduce costs. And, and operate their businesses better. Uh, this, and this business has sort of grown um, 15 to 20% top line with even stronger bottom line as they've added other verticals in the corporate and, and healthcare sectors. Um, so we started looking at this business a while ago, had set an entry price target. Um, the, the stock had um, fallen 15% with the initial fears in February around coronavirus. Um, it kind of hit the level that we were, were um, interested in it at. Um, but But... It does have certainly a cyclical um, exposure to it. Um, it's, it's exposed to fuel prices, travel spend, and corporate's general health. And so as the coronavirus has... Um, so we took a nibble, um, but as the coronavirus has, has obviously spread um, subsequently, the stock fell 10%, and, and I just didn't have confidence that the cyclical nature of it would, would keep the earnings um, strong. So we then sold it. It's now fallen another 30% since then. So, look, it, we, we lost money, um, but I'm glad we sold it just because it's right in the in the eye of the storm. Um, and, and at this point, look, we still have that list of companies. Some are more cyclically uh, exposed, and so they're probably wait and see for longer whereas others are just getting thrown out, you know, baby with the bathwater at this point. So they certainly are, are more interesting and ones that we could step into as we see this kind of wash through and, and share everything just getting thrown out uh, at the same time. Thanks, Katrina. Look, why don't I just quickly, I, I know we've had a few people uh, just ask, can we you know, talk about the profit reserves of the various entities? And the profit reserves are, is... is when the listed investment company makes a profit, um, you know, then effectively that profit is transferred to a profit reserve. And to pay dividends, um, you need a profit. And also, for them to be fully franked, um, we need to have the franking as well. But I'll just quickly skim through the, the profit reserves. With Global, the profit reserve is 27.1 cents. That's at the end of last month. Uh, leaders is 18.9. Uh, micro, it's 31.8. WAM, it's 13.9. Uh, WAX is 31.3. And ACTIVE is 8.9. Now, you'll notice on ACTIVE um, that we announced, you know, we, with the result, we announced a share purchase plan. Uh, a number of people had sent money in. Um, you know, the price was obviously the pre-market um, falling price. Um, so the, the board decided it's in everyone's interest uh, that we um, send that money back and we cancel the share purchase plan uh, for active. Um, also, a few, I think four people emailed us at the end of last month after we you know, changed our NTA slightly. Um, you know, on a six monthly basis, we talk about various levels of performance, uh, and those levels are at, at the gross, you know, before looking at the index versus. Um, our portfolio, you know, the index is before all fees and taxes, and looking at our portfolio before all fees and taxes. You know, then there's the movement in NTA, which in theory um, is you know, the, the movement in assets over a 12-month period. And then, of course, you know, something that the shareholder can more likely bank uh, is the move of the share price plus dividends. Um, so we do that each six months. And on a monthly basis, we used to do the gross, sorry, the performance before fees. Um, and there's been quite a bit of debate about that recently. So we thought, uh, look, let's just, let's just, you know, let's just remove it and you know, remove that uncertainty. Um, and, and if anyone, I know some people, you, know, you can easily work it out. Like we charge a 1% management fee. Um, yeah, and the costs are a fraction more than that. Um, yeah, so you can easily work it out. If anyone specifically wants the the numbers, 
Now, we, we, just, we can recreate it for you. After we announce the monthly NTA, uh, just, just, just email us. Um, yeah, what's... Oh, they're on the website. Yeah, but, yeah, if anyone wants to email them, we can email them to you as well. So um, that's the logic there. Why don't I open it up now for, for questions? So we've had quite a few questions come through on the webinar. Um, start off with uh, with Ray. So when will the bear market end? <clears throat> oh, the question is when will the bear market end? I I, I had a a uh, a friend who's a builder. He um he texted me yesterday and said all my friends are telling me I should buy shares. Should I buy some? And I said. Uh, I said to him, just keep building <laughs> and making money from that and have a look in 12 months' time. Look, I'm not sure. Since, since 1900, um, yeah, I think the average length of a bear market is, I think since 1900, it's about um, nearly a year and a half, uh, and the average fall is 35%. There's, there's other, since 1980, I think the average length of the bear market is 40, was it 46 weeks? Yep. Uh, and the fall is 33%. You know, Matt also talked to you about you know, the different types of bear markets and the length of time. You know, with, with, I mean, what we do know is we're in a bear market. Um, you know, we do know that, you know, well, we, we don't know how far we are away from the bottom. What, what I do know is there'll be some phenomenal buying opportunities, and um, I mean, we've talked about this you know, internally, um, you know, Matt talked about his list of stocks. Um, that that when the market, we all know the market performs over time. We all understand this is a period of adjustment. You know, because we're moving from the longest bull market ever to a, a bear market. Um, and some, if we if you can get, well, you can never pick the top of the bull market. You never pick the bottom of the bear market. But if if you can pick towards the bottom then you'll know um, yeah, that it'll, it'll be an exceptional buying opportunity. And what we did back in the GFC, uh, and so what needs to play out? Um, you know, we're only, how many days are we in? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, not even, we're not even a month in. Yeah, so, uh, if, uh, what's that? Oh, sorry, into the bear market, yeah, but from the top. Mm. Yeah, because in theory they count it from the top. Yeah, so effectively, yeah, the economy... Yeah, we could have a situation in Australia where um, you know, they try to flatten the curve, so we, you know, we get told you know, to stay at home effectively. Um, the, that, all those, the uncertainty about the impact that's going to have on the economy, you know, no one knows. You know, we're, we're all guessing. And, that's what, and the market, market is trying to forecast that, and it's saying it's not going to be good. You know, that's got to play through. Yeah, you've got the monetary authorities and the and and the fiscal authorities on the other side. You know, trying to make it as as um, you know, trying try to cushion the downturn as much as they can. Um, so it's just you you've really got to you've got to wait. All, all we do know is it'll take a little bit of time to play through. The the interesting thing about this one, it's probably this is so, someone asked me earlier today. Yeah, how does this compare to 73, 87, um, yeah, et cetera, et cetera? Um, and the interesting thing is 87 was very swift. The market fell about 10% before the uh, yeah, October 18. Then it fell 22 and a bit percent um, on October 19 in Australia, but um, yeah, it did it the day before in the US. Um, so that was – and that happened over a, over a couple of months – this fall has been has been quicker um, than that, and and the interesting thing is, doesn't mean um, well. The, the actually in '87 the market bottomed after two months. I think it was Matt, wasn't it? So since 1980, it was the quickest bear market we'd had, and and close to besides the GFC, um, you know, not as painful. How this feels to me is a combination of '87. In terms of the pain and the severity, um, and you know, similar to the GFC in terms of the relentlessness. You know, like during the GFC, I remember that January, you know, that the market fell 15 days straight, and I think 
I came back to work and I remember saying to everyone, look, it's got to bounce. And I think it fell for another 12 days straight. <laughs> now, so that, that's what it just, it, it feels like a, a combination of the two. Um, I mean, what, what you do find is, in terms of back in the GFC, you know, what we did is there was an opportunity, exceptional opportunities. Uh, you were buying companies that were um, you know, in the mids and small space. You were buying companies discount the cash um, and you know, that had operating businesses, um, you know, similar to the tech rec. Um, and, and on the other side, you were, we were buying companies that had a, a, a reasonable amount of gearing but would survive. Um, and, you know, I mean, you saw that with the media companies after the 87 crash, you know, the, the Prime TVs and the Westcos, which had a lot of debt and survived, and they went up 20 times. And, I mean, one of the stocks we bought um, after the GFC in the mids and smalls was McPherson's, I think around the 32 cent level, uh, and that ended up going up 10 times. You know, wasn't a great business. We never liked the business, but we were pretty confident it survived. So that's probably what we'll be looking at doing, looking for those opportunities in mids and smalls. Now, Matt's already got his portfolio um, you know, together in terms of you know, at, at the big end of the market, and, and same with Katrina, is you want quality companies because what you find is that, you know, the, the quality companies during these times of dislocation, they actually get stronger. Yeah, unfortunately, the strong get stronger and the weak, yeah, they, they go out the back door or, or, or they get weaker. And Matt, was talk, you were talking about you know, sort of ComBank versus NAB in terms of you know, if you're picking to, at the GFC, if you pick ComBank, what's that up from the GFC versus NAB? Or? Oh, just, just on relevance now, like ComBank's still about 250% above the GFC low, whereas NAB's yeah, within 12% of the GFC low, so um, Seabay yeah. dominated over that period. Yeah. So in theory, if you can pick those you know, high-quality companies that will will actually use this dislocation you know, to to you know, to grow and, um, and and create it you know, as an opportunity, it's sort of like Qantas, isn't it? Yeah. It could could be a similar situation. Yep. Yep. Does that that sort of explains that? Another question from John Emmy. What about the risk to credit markets? Could this morph into a GFC event as well as prolong the downturn? That's a, a great question. At the moment, um, what you saw was with the Fed intervention and central bank in, intervention, credit spreads and volatility were very low. What we've seen over the last few weeks is that credit market really tighten up um, and spreads blow out a bit. The next leg is really if there's more economic impact, you're going to start seeing stress across different businesses and then we may get another credit event and that could lead to a GFC type scenario. So um, it won't be as severe because of the, uh, the, the amount of debt out there um, and where it's held is not like the GFC, but it's really along the duration. Even like Jeff is addressing the bear market, we don't know the bear market because we don't know the economic impact yet because if this virus hangs around for you know 12 months it's going to cause severe impacts across economies and that's when you're going to get real credit uh, stress and credit spreads will blow out counterparty risk will go up and that's when you may get a freezing of liquidity but even in the last few days the issuance in the u.s there's been really nothing in the secondary market, so no one's really tested it out yet. So it's an interesting period, but the Fed are intervening again. They've upped the, the, the repos to $150 billion uh, per night, uh, so people can access that, so that's funding. And they've increased the term um, repo agreements um, by up to, it's up to $50 billion now again. So Fed are trying their best, central banks are trying their best, but... Yeah, if this economic impact goes on for longer, that's when you can see a credit type event, but not at the moment. Yeah. And this question is from Nicholas. Has Katrina invested in Kimberly Clark Corporation, the producer of Kleenex? <laughs> Katrina? Uh, no, I haven't. Um, look, for the for the, a lot of the US. Um, uh, so-called defensive. Um, it's a matter of looking at their leverage because uh, a lot of the and, and that's why we've chosen Nomad because their their balance sheet 
um, you know, look, looks in pretty good shape. Um, uh, Kimberly Kite had had some some growth issues themselves anyway, um, but but valid. Um, I don't know what the what's the um, Aussie one um, uh, that's listed yeah, there. That's also well, it's, it's funny how you say that, Katrina, because there's a company in Australia called Australia Care, and um, it used to be the manufacturer of sorbent um, until it sold its uh, its uh, tissue or well, its toilet paper business a year ago. The funny thing was, is last week when everyone started buying toilet paper, the share price of Asalio went up 15%, notwithstanding that they actually sold their toilet paper division a year ago. So everyone just forgot. Um, But anyway, I think they've all worked it out now. Um. (laughs) (laughs) The, the, um, what else we got on the questions? Sure. Um, So this one's from Ryan. What, What are your thoughts on the outlook for oil markets? And, and how are companies like Santos and, and Woodside looking? Or is it uh, too early to tell? <laughs> yeah, oil market's one of the toughest markets to trade. Um, obviously, OPEC Plus, which is the OPEC members plus other members, including Russia, uh, that that deal fell apart when they were trying to cut a, an additional 1.5 million barrels. And now Saudis have said they're going to print, well, not print, um, produce as much as they can and, and sell out of the inventories. And I think today I saw another country say they're going to really ramp up their production. So what you're seeing is a ramp up of production um, and a, a big fall in demand. So economic growth was slowing, so demand was coming off. But now you've got all the airlines not flying, so they're a big user as well. So the oil market looks incredibly tough if we go into recession. Um, again, that's really tough. So when we look across the space in Australia... I mean, things are looking very cheap, but I think they'll get cheaper. I think oil will probably go down in the 20s. Um, I, I still get a sneaking suspicion that OPEC Plus will get back together as they realise their um, finances of their home countries are starting to bleed. So, um, But that's really... You can't invest on that yet. So for us, if you look across the space, I think oil search looks OK if you, if you, you really want to be invested in this space. Um, and then probably Santos, Woodside... Uh, and then beach is more gas-related, so um, that'll be my plays, but it's really tough area. Everything says don't invest in it now, um, but there will be a, will be a time. Um, generally, you invest in oil when you start to see PMIs pick up in manufacturing and economic activity, and what we're going to see over the next few months is economic activity roll over, so um, hard to see a catalyst for anything in that, that space to go up. James? Yep. So, Virgin, uh, views on Virgin at the moment? Yeah, pretty difficult. <laughs> pretty difficult. It was my sign pick. When was it? Oh, all your all all three sign picks have been terrible, I think, Jeff. No, no, no. Afterpay, oh, no, Afterpay was the other no. pick. No, that was the uh, Future Gen Conference. No, no, no. What was the sign pick last year? Bandai and Amper. Yeah. Oh, Bandai was good. Yeah, Bandai up 40%. Oh, you take that. Yeah, nothing. yeah. Oh, hey, look, Virgin, it's going to be pretty difficult for them. You know, the, I, I keep getting called from journos saying, do you think it'll go under? Um, the, you know, obviously, it, it has a lot of debt. The, you know, the, I, I would have thought that the major shareholders are more likely to support it. Um, if, if you know, assuming it does survive, um, you know, in terms of us, it's, it's effectively irrelevant. Yeah, it's, it's an irrelevant um, you know, shareholding for us in the portfolio. Um, yeah, assuming it does survive, yeah, then yeah, this this would be one of those incredible leverage plays. But it's too early to to me. I think it's too early to make that call. You know, we really need to see yeah you know, the flow through of you know, all this dislocation that's happening at the moment. You know, say the US does lock down, um, you know, say Australia locks down for a period of time, you know, then, then see the impact that's going to have, you know, see who's going to survive and who isn't, and then you make those decisions. Um, you know, if, if you owned it now, hey, look, it's just, it's, it's just you know, effectively it's, um, you know, you're, probably, you're probably just hanging there uh, and... You know, wait, hope it gets out the other side, but accepting accepting there's significant risk on it. Okay. 
Okay, we've just hit five o'clock, so we'll make this the last question, although we will respond to everyone who has sent a question in over the next 24 hours. So from Lisa, do you think the stimulus package and possible rate cut in April will do much to stem the economic pain? Well, well we'll go around. Everyone can answer that. What do you, what uh, do you think? So Matt? the stimulus is around 1.5% of GDP. Uh, generally, that is quite good, but again... We just don't know the impacts yet so of, of the slowdown. So obviously it's going to help. How much will it mitigate will depend on the activity level at that period of time. So um, if we get some containment or some good news around the virus and there's a roll-off in numbers and things are going down, then you get the stimulus. Probably does a, a lot of good. Um, if the world is still in a terrible place, it probably does, doesn't do much good. Um, obviously, it does help incrementally, but for me, 1.5% of GDP is not too bad. What do they um, do? What are the, the GFC? What are they? Stimulus-wise, yeah. Uh, I actually don't know. It's probably no. probably around two and a half, three percent. I would have thought. Um, that's generally a big push. Um, one and a half is still decent, so they've still got some more ammunition. So yeah, rate cuts. It, it just it depends where we land in April on, on the impact. If if things have cleared up. <coughs> It will have a tremendous impact, but if things are still rough out there, uh, as far as the virus impacts, um, impact will be quite muted because. But it's what, really, do you, what do you think the virus like? I'll, I'll, I'll be betting in April there's this, uh, a big roll down in numbers. Um, we're getting more data around fatality rates. Um, we're getting more data on how things peak, maybe after 30, 40 days in countries, yeah. and we should be in a lot better place in April, and this will help. Yeah, the only problem is. We've got to get to April, don't we? Correct. <laughs> We're going through the unknown period at the moment. Yeah. So, um, yeah, obviously, the more data we get, the more you can extrapolate what's going to happen. Because we all know the rest of the world is ramping up now. We just don't know the severity yet. So yeah. we just need some data around that. And, and even in the GFC, they did pump that into the economy. Yeah. We, uh, I mean, and we were lucky because we had China. Yes. Supporting us, but well, but pretty much everywhere else globally. I, yeah, yeah. I, I'd say bigger than our stimulus, the, the impact will be if China do a big stimulus, that will save us like the GFC. So the talk is 25 to 50 trillion RMB, which would be like, oh, it'd be 10 to um, be a large amount, like it'd almost be 8 trillion US dollars. So the China's going to China. Pump so that's over a few years, but if they did that, it'd be like the GFC where all our miners went up in the GFC because we benefited from China and they saved us from recession. So China could save us again, potentially. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I mean, my view is it's just got to, this has got to play out a bit further. You know, we're still quite early in, in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'll, it's just, I mean, Matt's nailed it, but I guess from my perspective, looking at small cap companies, I think... You know, all the, the reduction in, in, in or the rate cuts have done is just stimulate the housing market without without it filtering through to retail. So I think, you know, a rate cut in April, I mean, if, if things are like what they are today, I don't think it's going to do much. Um, and people are used to lower rates. I think it's got to be fiscal policy that gets us over the line. But, you know, as Matt said, it's a it's a long way to, to April at the moment. And Katrina, any... Yeah, for me, it'd be... I get it's look for, on the Aussie side. I think you've covered it from a global side. I think like as as you said, we're in this sort of we're in, still in the ramp up towards the peak um, fear. Um, and and I think for me, I'm really watching carefully. Like if this drags on and companies have to start have to actually start firing people, then like yeah, you can throw what you wanted at it, but but. You know the the U.S. consumer, you know that has held up the European consumer that's still been pretty good. Um, you know, it sort of feeds um, a, a recession if if people start getting start keep getting fired. Um, so I think we're we're, we're relatively early. Um, the key will be that they can contain it relatively quickly, and can we, and the sooner we can reach peak and start seeing those case numbers go down, um, the, the, the better chance we have that the economies globally um, reco- recover more quickly. Yeah. Because just to put everything in perspective, like if every day they announced how many people were getting the flu and how many people were dying of the flu, then you know, we, we would have that fear and panic. 
about getting the flu. Um, and again, you know, the tough thing is we don't know when, when this will play, play out, but it will play out. Uh, and, and it is very similar. Like I remember in, in the late 80s, I, I was in London and, and I was significantly younger and um, in my mid-20s and you know, we'd go down the pub for a few drinks and then the IRA blew up a pub. So then we didn't go down for, you know, we didn't go down to the pub for a couple of weeks. And then, oh, well, nothing's happening. So we you know, started going down again. Then they blew another pub up. And then, oh, well, we didn't go down for another week. And then eventually we just realised that was the risk of going down the pub. Um, and, and to me, as human beings, uh, you know, eventually it, be, it becomes normalised. Um, and it will be uh, in years to come, you know, People will die of the flu, people will die of obesity, people will die of car accidents, uh, and people will die of the, of the virus. You know, they'll get, there will be, just as you get a flu vaccine, you'll get a, you know, a CB19 vaccine, um, and, and it'll be, it's just, it'll be, it'll be normalised. And then, then there's no fear, there's no panic. We're not rushing to, you know, to buy the last roll of toilet paper. Um, you know, so... You know, th that will play through. The tough thing is we've got this you know, reasonable period of uncertainty you know, while that plays through, and the market hates uncertainty. Um, so I think... What, what, oh, look, if, actually, just, in, just finishing off, uh, oh, in terms of our, you know, our May shareholders presentation, you know, you know on a six-monthly basis, we like reporting to you and going around... Uh, each capital cities, uh, we just want each capital city and presenting to you. Obviously, we want to keep you as safe as possible. Um, you know, so we made a decision. You know, Kate sent an email out you know, a week or so ago about that presentation. Um, you know, that we that we'll be doing it via a, um, a video a video presentation, and we'll keep you in the loop on that. Um, I mean, go to our website, obviously sign up, and then you know we can send you out an email about. Um, when that's happening. So look, thank you very much. We'll answer all your other questions um, by email. If anyone does have a question, you know, please feel free to email or call up. Um, I mean, this is a tough time. I, I remember, you know, it's too early to call, you know, well, I remember after the, during the GFC, I think at the, at the AGM, um, just trying to think which AGM it was, one of the AGMs towards the bottom, I think I was a little bit early, I think I said this is going to be one of the greatest buying opportunities in my lifetime. That was back during the GFC. Now, it, has been, it has been a good period. Um, again, over the next period, you know, this, will, this will be a great buying opportunity. The, the tough thing is we don't know exactly when, uh, but we know we're getting a lot closer to it. So, so thank you very much.